Hi, everybody. It's Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. He's back. He's like the boomerang we keep inviting back. Mike Cernovich, a lawyer and the author of Guerrilla Mindset, How to Control Your Thoughts and Emotions to Live Life on Your Terms. Vital statistics. Follow Mike on Twitter, twitter.com slash Cernovich. And dangerandplay.com is his excellent blog. And uh, for those of you into submarines, you can follow him on Periscope, periscope.tv slash play dangerously. Mike, how are you doing? Man, it's been great, huh? It's been fun. What a day. What a time to be alive. For those who want the background, uh, the Russian government at some point managed to worm their way into the um, democratic, uh, the DNC servers, and managed to extract, I think it's about 20,000 emails. There apparently may be more on the way. And boy, some stuff has emerged out of that. What are the top, well, what's the top couple of things that you find interesting that have come out of this uh, document dump? Yeah, you okay. ask, it's a big question you ask because it's, it's almost like where do you begin? The big problem with this story, as you know, is so much is being exposed that it's even hard to say, wait, wait, they said that, this happened, this happened. You feel like it's a baseball game and you're calling a play-by-play. But I think two of the big themes are that we've always known that the DNC controls the media, but we can never prove it. Well, now we can prove it. That's a big takeaway. Well, we have reporters who are uh, allowing for edits from the DNC. We have the DNC basically calling them up like a bad dog who took a crap on a nice rug saying, hey, stop what you're doing. And the guy's like, oh, uh, I can have a call any day, any, any time during the day. I'll help you out. So the fact that they really do seem to be calling the shots, it's not even so much they say how high. It's like they, they seem to give a lot of the talking points. Reporters are allowing edits. They're running ideas past the DNC. Which, you know, if you're honest and open about it, you know, if I go to some communist blog and it's got the hammer and sickle and pictures of Lenin that people often mistake for me after a hungry day, if I go to that blog, it's like, okay, they're communists. I get that. When I go to Hillary Clinton's website, but if I do, I know it's pro-Hillary Clinton. The problem is that the media claims to have some level of objectivity to the reader. And that, to me, is kind of the social contract that gets broken. We're objective. We're seeing things both sides. But when you're taking your talking points from... DNC-approved topics, then you can't claim to be objective. And I think that facade is what has fallen down. It's something everyone knew, as you said, but kind of came down this weekend. What was shocking to me, though, was that email you mentioned from uh, Deborah Wasserman Schultz to Chuck Todd, which, you know, even though I'm pro-Trump, nobody from the Trump organization has ever said, Mike, this must stop. Because, for (laughs) example, I came out like I wasn't pro-Mike Pence. Nobody from Trump's team, even though I'm pro-Trump, would say, Mike, this must stop. It was the way that they talked to him. It was He was an errand boy. It isn't even that Chuck Todd is biased, because as human beings, we're all biased. It's that he was spoken to like an errand boy. You wouldn't even talk to your interns the way that these people talk to the media. Yeah. Hillary, the giant vacuum of support among young people. Now, support among older people to me is a little confusing because they have the living memory of what the Caligula administration of the Clintons was actually like in the White House, which is actually a bit of an insult to Caligula. But um, the fact that among the young, Hillary has to pay people to support her. Uh, how is this? Like, Doesn't this say everything you need to know? Yeah, she, can't, she has no organic reach, no organic audience. And a lot of us, you know, you had mentioned this, I had mentioned it before. We had always said that there were paid shills and people go, that's a conspiracy theory. Oh, and I'm like, no, trust me, it's real because I talk to people. She has no support. Right. Hillary Clinton has to pay people to defend her on Twitter, whereas Bernie's people are very active and very engaged. 
And that's another thing that we knew for a fact is that Hillary does not have any real support. This election is going to be very bad for her. And these protesters, and I guess for those who can air quote around protesters, that a lot of these protesters are just interns sent. Now, who, who was sending these interns out to these supposed protests? Yeah, that's fake, right? So, so the protest thing is, is hilarious because um, if you guys saw my Periscope and pictures, I would kind of photobomb the protest to show people that the media – here's what I would watch. The media would say like, you know, me and you are here standing and they would zoom in. And really try to make it look like, oh, protest at this place. And then you and I would walk down the block an hour later. And then they would take another picture from a different angle, another protest. We know there's only two people. Well, even a big protest at the RNC was around 40 people. And again, interns. So that email that came from the WikiLeaks, the DNC goes, well, we got great coverage on the protest, even though only two people showed up. But in the future... We better send off some interns just in case because we don't want a bad photo. So, yeah, we have proof that Hillary has no actual real support online. Nobody who protests is actually a protester. They're all interns or people that they're, that they're paying. It's hilarious, really. Okay, now help me understand something. I, I don't know if you're an expert in this kind of stuff, but uh, you certainly have a legal mind. What is the issue with the Washington Post hosting joint fundraisers with the DNC? Because obviously that's partisan as hell uh, when it comes to just perception. But there seemed to be, they seem to have some legal questions or even legal opposition to that very uh, gathering. What's all that about? Yeah, there's all kinds of FEC regulations. You'll remember that. Remember when Arnold Arnold ran for governor of California, they actually had to stop showing his movies within 60 days of the election or something like that. If you're if you're the Washington Post and you give away free media to the Democratic National Convention or you give value to them, that is a form of a campaign contribution because it's a it's a quid pro quo, right? So in that email you're talking about it, and that's why they're very lawyers. The DNC goes, so I'll give you the legalese version of it. Okay, the real version. Here's what really happened: the DNC said we're going to give to donors tickets to this Washington Post party as part of the package. So, you know, if you give $5,000, you'll get four tickets to the Washington Post party. And then the Washington Post said, no, 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 no. We don't want our name on this. Keep it separate. And then the DNC guy goes, oh, yeah, we're going to keep it separate anyway because the lawyer said we can't do it. And then they go, "Okay, well, the way we'll get around this is we'll keep it separate. But if somebody donated money, then we'll get them added to the list. So clearly it went through legal and legal said, no, this is illegal as hell. You can't do this. So they go, okay, well, what we'll do is if you're a big donor, we can't tell you that we're selling you tickets to the Washington Post, but we can tell them to add you to the list. So the the lawyers knew whatever it was they were doing was 100 percent illegal, told them they couldn't. So then they tried to be too clever to get around that and say, well, okay, we won't sell you a ticket, but wink, wink, nod, nod, we can get you into the park. I mean, that's the Washington Post, you know, like they hired 23 people to go after Trump. And when they did that, we go, well, why is the Washington Post hiring 23 people to just go after Trump? That's all that they did. Right. And then Trump, of course, removed the Washington Post uh, press credentials and people go, that's an attack on the media, an attack on the free press. Well, okay, now we have proof that the Washington Post is essentially selling tickets to his parties as a joint fundraising effort with the DNC. Where is the media outcry for that? Yeah, well, I think to ask that question, given these revelations, is almost to answer it. So, Mike, help me understand this, because, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this stuff from, from Canada, and 
the way it seems to me is that when you look at the degree to which social media or social justice media, as I'm calling it these days, the degree to which social media is aiding the Democrats and thwarting the Republicans, you know, when you when you look at Facebook and the way that they seem to have some, there seem to be some evidence that they may be manipulating stories. When you look at hashtag uh, manipulation in Twitter, when you look at popular uh, Trump supporters like Milo Yiannopoulos being uh, banned from Twitter and so on, is there a point where a case could be made that all of this is providing material support to the Democrats in violation of can- campaign contribution laws? Yeah, I've made, I've made that argument before in Twitter. What actually the interest thing about Twitter was I learned about Twitter's manipulation of the elections through Bernie people. So Bernie people started a hashtag called hashtag which Hillary. And they wanted to find because Hillary would say, well, I'm anti Wall Street. So then Bernie people goes, well, which Hillary are you? The one who took $250,000 from for a speech from Wall Street or the one saying that you're not Wall Street. So the Bernie people were like, which Hillary? And what they noticed is that they're like, wait, wait, we're like conservatives now. Our hashtag had like 100,000 posts to it. It was trending and then, boop, you know, down the rabbit hole. So Twitter actually started playing games with the Bernie people and were totally in bed with the Hillary people. Now, I think that because of Twitter isn't regulating the same way that broadcast media is, so they can kind of get away with it. But here's what's interesting. The only reason you and I are talking about this and the only reason De- Deborah Washman Schultz had to resign, the DNC chair is resigning on the eve of the Democratic National Convention is because of the power of social media, because the mainstream media tried to cover it up. So, you know, I have a weird relationship with Twitter where that like I love the platform. I love the service. I've long said that I would pay, even though Twitter sells ads based on me i would pay to be on twitter because of the impact it has so even as as much as twitter messes with us and manipulates our results we're still making news because if it weren't for twitter the media just wouldn't have covered this story at all and would have disappeared so the hashtag thing that was going on with dnc league can you step people through these various mutations of the hashtag and also explain to people who aren't you know twitterholics uh, like like you and i perhaps uh the, the what what this means for this hashtag to be manipulated Right. So Twitter is very clever. When you ban Milo right away, you know, people can yell censorship. You have a big elephant in the room. So if you want to actually censor people, you want to do it very subtly. So on Twitter, people like me, people like Stefan, you start a hashtag and the hashtag is kind of like think about Game of Thrones. You know, you're throwing the flag in the air and then everybody can rally around the hashtag and you post the hashtag. Now, when enough people post the hashtag, it's trending. And by trending, it means anybody who goes on Twitter.com is going to see that hashtag. So, for example, yesterday we got Bernie must disavow trending across the nation. So a hashtag, which might be, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 of us, it catches on where even the Green Party candidate, presidential candidate Jill Stein tweeted to it. We had Huffington Post people, actually. I mean, talk about, you know. Uh, unlikely bedfellows tweeting to it and then it trended internationally where it actually trended above the ufc it was the number one trending tag worldwide so what twitter will do is a a number of things one is they could just completely remove your hashtag but people are kind of hip to that game now and then people call them out for banning the hashtag or so then what will happen is then they'll let a new one come up to distract people all right so that's the background now with wikileaks the Hashtag dump was under capital D, capital N, capital C, capital L, E-A-K-S. DNC, Democratic National Committee, leaks. Plural. 
Okay, trends worldwide, of course. This is a big story. You know, this is huge. So then Wikipedia drops it, or uh, rather Twitter drops it. Wikipedia goes, wait a minute, you just dropped the hashtag. What are you, what are you guys doing? So then they repopulated it, but they made it DNC leak. So then now if you click on DNC leak, you can't see all of those hundreds of thousands of tweets that were posted to DNC leaks, plural. And, and so it has to start is, climbing oh, up the whole totem pole again, right? It has to start right. rising up through the rankings from scratch. Right. And then you lose it. So then for people like me, I had some tweets on DNC leaks, plural, that were getting 200,000, 300,000 impressions. Well, now with the new hashtag, you've essentially put up a wall, which, you know, we're told is bad. You've now put up a wall between leaks and leak so that those hashtags that were really powerful, 2,000, 3,000 retweets, those kind of vanish. And then we have to start over, which we did. We work our way up back to food chain. And then Twitter, you know, then it's DNC lowercase l. So then instead of DNC leaks, it looks like DN clique. But very, oh, right, very right. subtle. Yeah, so that, that's the thing. A lot of this stuff, um, it seems very wonkish to people outside of Twitter. And that's why Twitter does it because it's very hard to show a smoking gun. You have to be like, all right, I'm about to tell you about hashtags. And please don't fall asleep. This is really important, you know, and it is. Now, I don't think there's any particular shock in anyone's mind that the generally left-leaning media is not doing anything. Because, you know, Melania Trump's possible plagiarism of uh, the, um, the original speech uh, by Michelle Obama, that was three days' worth of wall-to-wall coverage. However, this stuff, boom, it's gone. It's in interstellar space. It has ceased to breathe. They've nailed it to the perch and flushed it down the toilet. But you've made the case, and help me understand where you're coming from from this standpoint, Mike. You've made the case that even the conservative media is uh, not covering this to the extent. Because this should be the holy manna from heaven for the conservative media. I mean, I remember back in the day, uh, years ago, you know, people were writing entire books about liberal bias in the media. and uh, But it was all kind of circumstantial and data-driven and a little bit boring. But when you get this kind of open collusion stuff going on, shouldn't the you know, mainstream media uh, on the conservative side be all over this stuff uh, and, and just a death grip of, of, uh, of beaky death on this topic? And, and why is it seeming to slip away from their attention as well? Yeah, as you said, we remember you know, political scientists would say, okay, we've, we're going to take two groups of interns and we're going to give them all of these news stories and then – we're going to read them and have them rate them on bias, and we're going to blah, blah, blah. Then, and we're going to conclude from this data that, that there's bias in the liberal media. And you say bias in the liberal media. And it was always, again, kind of wonkish. How do you prove bias? You know? Well, yeah, we have smoking guns. And instead of going with this, the, the, the conservatives are saying, well, the Russians were behind it. The Russians did it, right? Well, first of all, who cares? We don't know that, first of all. But second of all, like this isn't Red Dawn, you know. I'm, a, you know, child of the '70s. You know, the Red, the, the Russian. Nobody thinks about like being afraid of the Russians anymore. I don't even know. I don't even know why they're doing it. So what we're learning actually is that the conservative media is every bit a part of the mainstream media. They all serve the same interests. They all serve the same paymasters. They've now, and I'm glad that this happened now because it's a good litmus test. If you're not all over this like attack, 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 then we know right away that you're not actually a conservative. You're not on the right. You're just right there with the liberals. And we saw, we finally now, so people like me, you know, I'm not sure if you've had this view. I've always had the view that they were controlled opposition and that conservative media was in bed with the the Saudis and all the same people who pay off the 
uh, liberal media. I always said that. Well, now I can prove it. Because if you're not going at this head on and attacking and saying, finally, we're proving it, that tells me you were controlled opposition all along. It was all pro wrestling and that you never meant anything that you said. Yeah, I mean, it, it may be uh, an overreaction to have created a tapioca shrine to Vladimir Putin in my bedroom uh, and to pray uh, now uh, every day before it because the degree to which the Russians have exposed this bias in both the left and the right wing media is the degree to which it is invitation to come to freedomainradio.com, to go to dangerroomplay.com, to get people's uh, perspectives who aren't bought out by these special interests. And the idea that it's somehow the Russians' fault is like the the person who finds the body is not the person responsible for the death. The person who simply points out that there's a dead body under the floorboards is not the person who's going to go to jail. Putin did not make these people write these emails. He just revealed what everyone kind of instinctively knew uh, it's not his fault directly. Maybe you didn't even know about it. But the Russian government, or whoever got the stuff, they're not responsible for these emails. They're just responsible for turning the light on. Yeah, the, the example that we were – I was talking to some lawyer friends of mine, and the example that we kind of gave is, you know, you're cheating on your wife, and then she finds your email password and logs in and finds out that you're cheating on her. And she's like – and you're like, how dare you, you know, read my email? You know, like, no, you're caught, buddy. It doesn't matter – it doesn't matter who did it or how they found it. Like you're the one who got caught. And that the media, you know, they had a three-part plan. One is ignore it as long as they can. We well, can't ignore it anymore because of Twitter. You just can't. Like I'm just one guy and I'm doing 5 million, you know, views a day on this stuff. WikiLeaks is probably doing 100 million views, you know. And collectively there's probably a, mil- a billion views a day on just this stuff. Okay, the media tried to ignore it. They couldn't. Well, then they called it a hack, right? Well, how do we know it was a hack and not a leak? right? WikiLeaks hasn't given up their sources. Maybe it was a whistleblower. And that's a pattern that you find in the media. If the media likes what the emails reveal, they call it a whistleblower. A courageous whistleblower exposed corruption, right? If they don't like it, as with ClimateGate, they call it a hack, Well, a nefarious hacker. And that's the thing. So that's how I knew right away. Well, they'll ignore it. Then they'll call it a hacker. And then if all else fails, they're going to blame the Russians. The Russians did it. But the truth this it could have been a whistleblower inside maybe it was the russians maybe it was the putin nobody knows but that is the story that they're going with okay great putin did it i'll just concede that as a rational person putin did it now let's talk about it well um uh then they don't have anything to say well yeah but putin did it and isn't it a bad thing that putin is trying to manipulate our elections well no let's talk about the emails right well, if people are concerned about manipulations of the election system, I don't think shining a light on the manipulations between the DNC and the media is exactly solving that problem. Right. Yeah, we don't want people to know the truth because if they know the truth, it'll affect the election, which is manipulating the election. But well, wait a minute. Isn't actually manipulating the election all the stuff that you did that got exposed, right? right. But they aren't, you know, they, aren't very, they aren't very good thinkers, as we've talked about before. Well, you see, Snowden... Good for a lot of people on the left. Exposure of the left's uh, skeletons in the closet. Ooh, evil hacking, Russians bad. I mean, oh, man. They even called them an MRA. They were, the, they were even saying, oh, you know, WikiLeaks was cool before it became co-opted by MRAs. And we're thinking, how is – what does this hack have to do with MRAs? And there was even a person who was uh, a video games journalist. And she goes, oh, yeah, these guys now are just MRAs and f- – frustrated gamers and we're like okay you're blaming gamergate now for the the hack you know they've lost their minds but the truth is all that you know the squid with the ink all they can 
do is th- try to throw a smoke bomb or try to get split ink everywhere. Because if you actually said, no, let's just have a rational conversation about this. Why is the DNC saying, Chuck, this must stop? And then why is Chuck Todd say, oh, okay, call me anytime within this five-hour time frame? You know, like even you and me, we're friends, you know, and we're not like five hours. Who has a five-hour time slot open in your day, let alone if you're a media mogul, right? If you, I was like, man, five hours, you know, we're trying to put something together within an hour or two, right? And we like each other. So that just shows how beholden to the media they are. And then what they're not covering, okay? So let's talk about what they're not covering. Which there's so much again that we can talk about. It's like, man, you feel like you're overwhelming the audience with facts. Thankfully, your people are intelligent. You know, okay, we have proof now that the Democratic National Committee posted a fake Craigslist ad for you know for a Trump, the Trump organization that was approved approved by the DNC. So the ad was something like, "Come work for my company, and I'm going to grope you under the table." It was very smug, and it wasn't even creative. Oh, this is the one where like you're not allowed to gain weight and and things like that. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. 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 So it was that kind of smug, snarky, New York hipster style that isn't even like persuasive. That's why we can always spot hoaxes right away. People will be like, well, how do you know that this person sent the death threat to themselves? And I go, well, because people who make death threats don't actually write that way, right? So they're trying to do a false flag on Trump, but they can't even write it in a believable way. They're just snarky, but the underlying fact is the same. Somebody within the DNC goes, I'm going to post a fake ad from Trump. Can I do it? The DNC said, you know, sure, no problem. Go ahead and do that. That should be a big story. Well, the fact that Debbie Washerman Schultz called Clinton, at least privately, the presumptive nominee before she was, uh, accused Sanders of not even being a real Democrat, uh, the fact that a Politico reporter allowed the DNC to edit his stories. I mean, this should be huge. Of course, if it was on the other side of the aisle, uh, the media would be a volcanic eruption of Pompeii uh, 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 proportions. But of course, it doesn't matter because it's, it's all sports teams. It's no ethics. Well, remember the DNC even goes, they even went, can we do a story and pitch it to the media about how... Bernie never had a chance anyway. So they're conspiring. Yeah, I mean, th- that's the, the angle there. If you're Bernie's people, you're furious because the DNC deliberately rigged it. Undeniable. If you're people like us and you actually care about media integrity, well, we have proof now that the media is a PR agent and propaganda ministry for the Democrats. And now we have proof that they're going to cover this stuff up as much as they can. Right, Melania's Trump, you know, bullshit, you know, 72-hour news cycle. Trump makes one tweet, you know, it's a huge deal. You know, they're on it for days and days and days. Well, here we have actual smoking gun emails and nobody's talking about. And then, of course, you know, I don't think it's sexist to call somebody a cougar, but I found kind of um, salacious, sexy emails today where the, the DNC guys go, oh, yeah, he's about to impregnate that cougar. And by cougar, they met this woman who had three kids and was married. So we even have some what I don't I don't personally I just consider that kind of locker room talk. Mm. But if if Trump's people were saying things like, oh, oh, yeah, he's about to go get on that cougar. Oh, proof sexism. The Republican is rife with sexism. You don't talk about women like that. Well, we have all that kind of sort of gossip that is beneath you and I and your audience. But it just goes to prove the point that if that had come from the, the Republicans, they would be all over this and create this narrative of sexism. But when it comes from the Democrats, oh, there's nothing even there to talk about. 
Well, you don't have to hold the hypocrite's viewpoint on either side to point out that uh, he or she is a hypocrite. And weren't they uh, in one email that they were referring to Latinos as taco bowls? I mean, this yeah. is astonishing. Yeah, no, it's, re- it's really bizarre w- what you find when you look in those. Yeah, they want, they want more taco bowl leverage. And then, of course, some people said that they were referencing Trump's taco bowl thing. And that's the idea is right now it's such a mess. People are saying, well, Mike, you're, you're misinterpreting emails. And I go, well, great, dude. I'm one guy reading thousands of emails a day. Let's get these people on TV and have a real interview with them. You know, you don't nip at me because you think I misread an email when I'm reading thousands of them. You need to go after the media and say, well, hey, you know, Mike is misreading emails because you're not doing your job. You need to get these people on. You need to go email by email. You said this, didn't you? You said that, didn't you? What did you mean by that? Is it ordinary for you to tell Chuck Todd to stop what he's doing? We need to get Chuck Todd interviewed and say, hey, Chuck Todd, is it normal to be told this must stop? Is it normal to clear your calendar for the Republicans? And if so... Show us those emails, right? So where is it? It's not happening. Now, the one thing that amazes me, I mean, I've been an entrepreneur most of my sort of adult life in in software and then, of course, uh, uh, on the Internet. So I am very sensitive to market forces. And because I operate in general in a very voluntary sphere, no political money, or I, I don't sell that much in terms of like the money comes in from donations and stuff like that. We sell a fair amount, but we want to keep it on donation side because that's where I can orient myself the most. There is something to me quite shocking about this stuff, Mike, that these guys in charge of these media empires, in charge of these media organizations, seem to be perfectly willing to, as an old business partner of mine used to call it, auger in. You know, you just just grind in and dive down and, and just crater the whole thing. Are they really willing to ride these horses off a cliff, to, to alienate their audience, to, to be revealed as so transparently manipulative and hypocritical that they're going to start to threaten the economic foundations of their – at a time where the internet is competing, wouldn't you want to become more market-friendly, more listener-responsive, change your, your ethics, your approach? I mean it looks like these leftists are willing to, to simply ride these organizations off a cliff in order to maintain the political status quo. That's astonishing to me. And maybe people on the right aren't that flexible and always worrying about paying their employees or something like that. But this seems to me a remarkable um, self-destructive uh, uh, element within the leftist media. Yeah, you have two things going on. The same thing is with the right-wing sort of conservative media. One is that they are zealots and they have that fervor of zealots and blind spots. Two is they don't really understand like the business model and the new media. And I kind of tweeted about this earlier to you today. Like, I've told people I would not trade my Twitter account for a show on Fox unless it was a Bill O'Reilly. And people go, well, Mike, you just say that because you can't get on Fox. I'm like, no. I, like, I actually – like when people – when authors go on these shows and they sell books, I look what happens to the sales rank, which anybody can track on Amazon. I can see what happens, okay? They're not selling books, okay? People aren't engaged when they watch these shows. So a lot of these pundits go, well, I had a you know 100,000 people watch my show. No, you didn't. You had four TVs in the urinals and a couple of people were sleeping. Nobody was really paying attention. They, they watch it because it's on and not because they want to watch it. Whereas with your show, your people, like, they find you, okay? The Joe Rogan podcast, which isn't really political, but people, you know, people find you on Joe Rogan. People want to watch what Joe Rogan, right? People want to watch what you're having to say. People go to Twitter because they want to read Milo's or me and other people, that is much more targeted, and that's actually much more effective. So when I was at the RNC 
See, I would watch these supposedly big news anchors walk up and down the street. Nobody even knew who they were. But I could barely walk half a block. Oh, hey, Mike. Hey, you know, good to see you. You know, everybody's recognizing me. And they would say, well, you only have a Twitter. You only have a blog. And it's like, no, like they still don't get it. You know, they'll call people like us bloggers or YouTubers. And you go, no, we actually, the people who watch us actually watch us. They actually listen to us. Your, our readers or viewers aren't just random people who are taking a piss at Buffalo Bills Wild Wings and your show happens to be on, you know. So they don't really understand that the, the real power right now, the people with real influence now are people with big YouTubes, people with big social medias, people with big blogs, Twitters and everything. So, yeah, they, they are zealous and they are being self-destructive and there's a lot of psychological things going on or, as I would say, bad mindset but what's also true is they, they don't get it. TV now, you're dinosaurs. Your audience is all over 70. They're falling asleep during your show. They're not involved. Young people, that's what Bernie understood. Bernie had that young, engaged audience. That's why Hillary had to hire people to actually go against him because people want – I mean think about it, right? When I go on Twitter to tweet about Trump, nobody's paying me from Trump. Like I'm just – I'm passionate about it. I think that he's better than the alternative and I want him in. The same is true of Bernie's people. Well, Hillary doesn't have any of that, and that, of course, is why she had to buy it. And the mainstream media, they don't really have that kind of engagement either. So they really don't get it. Like if, if I told – if I went to a studio executive and I go, other than Bill O'Reilly, you know, Sean Hannity, you know, Megyn Kelly, Stefan is like the thing. They would be like, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, all right. You know, they, they, how, they, how do you spell you know, that name again? I, I, I just yeah. and I've been on TV dozens of times, and it's had if I if I combine all my TV and radio appearances compared to one you know big internet uh, show, um, they don't even come close. I mean that, that, that that's so far in the rear view. Oh, I need to legitimize myself by getting on television. That's so that's like saying, well, no one's going to listen to a philosophy show until I get a doctorate. It's like, nope, it's just quality. Can you produce engaging, interesting, entertaining, quality, valuable information to people? If you can, who cares? You know, did I care whether Freddie Mercury went to singing school? Nope. I just care that uh, he can belt out a great tune. So uh, this idea that we're in this area where the quality of what you can present is all that matters and the infrastructure is irrelevant, that's really tough, of course, for people to who have invested a lot in that infrastructure to recognize. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I learned about Fox News when I was in New York is unless you're a big time, a lot of those people are making like 40 grand a year, you know. And they're on TV, you know, all, all the time. And so people think, yeah, being on TV is a big deal. But I actually, I turned down a ton of media because it doesn't, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't move the needle in any way. But the first time I was on your show, I got like 5,000 Twitter followers. I'm like, <laughs> whoa, you know, and I sold like 1,000 books. You sold some books, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was huge because people, again, they don't watch you because you're on, right? They find you and they actually pay attention. And that's how to have real influence now. And the mainstream media, they're so far behind us, they don't even get it. Now, let's talk about identity politics for a second, because to me, like the last two weeks have been like an irony salad that's, that's so deep, it's just like an evergreen forest for infinity. Because, I mean, of course, there was Charles C. Johnson having his arm grabbed by um, uh, Weinstein, uh, which was had its own levels of, of irony. Another level of irony that I think ties into what's going on with the Democrats at the moment, Mike, is something like this. So there seems to be some significant evidence that a lot of women high up in the DNC really, really wanted Hillary uh, because she was a woman. 
right? In other words, they didn't care that much about meritocracy. They cared about vagina. And what that means to me is it's a kind of affirmative action. Now, of course, anybody who knows anything about free market economics knows that you can have a meritocracy or you can have affirmative action. You just can't have both at the same time. And when I compare Hillary, who to some degree may be the result of this kind of um, uh, female in-group preference affirmative action versus uh, Donald Trump, who is, you know, a natural born fighter in the free market, I think we can see just the effects of affirmative action versus free market meritocracy just in these two candidates. They really, to me, do represent entirely oppositional worldviews. Now, to me, when you choose a candidate not based upon the quality, and she herself, uh, Hillary herself, has said that she's not a natural politician compared to the dewy-eyed bubber magic of her husband. But when you put forward a candidate who's substandard, what you have to do after that is manipulate. You have to start manipulating because that person can't achieve what you want them to achieve on their own. So when you choose a candidate who's not up to scratch because of affirmative action, in this case based on gender, what happens is you then end up having to manipulate what's going on because you can't trust that candidate to make it on her own. And I think the fact that they have lived and died, well, they've lived for the last half decade, a half century at least on on sort of affirmative action and and gender politics and identity politics and so on, that they fell into their own anti-market thinking that they've so much promoted uh, around the rest of the economy, they kind of threw themselves uh, down that pit that they pushed other people down, put forward an affirmative action candidate who's failing. And that, to me, live by identity politics, politically die by identity politics. That, to me, is a deep and delicious irony. I'm still actually – I'm still enjoying the taste of it in my mouth. Well, yeah, there's so much fun going on. And, you know, I think that is another reason we're winning is because we're all just kind of like merry warriors. There, there's nothing more hilarious when people say, oh, you're so angry. And I'm like, man – you know, you should just see I'm smiling every day. You know, Chuck Johnson walks up to Michelle Fields to ask a question, non-threatening. And then Jamie Weinstein, of course, assaults him, which is what Michelle Fields um, said that Corey Lewandowski did. And then when I tweeted that video out, people go, Mike, you're pathetic. That It wasn't an assault. And I'm like, you idiots don't get it. Like, we're making fun of you. We're not actually, you know, even though Jamie Weinstein did, under a legal definition of assault, did assault him, you know, as a lawyer, yeah, is assault, but... They didn't even get – no, I'm just making fun of you people over that Michelle Fields host and they don't get it. The same thing with the identity politics. You're watching all these narratives kind of implode because with identity politics, you don't have the energy and the natural inertia that you need to keep yourself pushing forward and to keep moving forward because it is you're being lifted up by somebody else. Well, what we find in this election is that the DNC was giving – Hillary affirmative action, but the people, because they weren't behind her in an election, you have to have the people behind you. They rejected her. They lifted up Bernie. So I mean, again, there's so much to unpack with this. There's so much fun to be had with this. The, the kind of people who push affirmative action, run an affirmative action candidate, and, and now they're losing. Like you said, all you can do is just really, you wake up. I don't know. I wake up. I'm very enthusiastic about the future. How about you? I, um, I, I feel that there's this conveyor belt of confirmation from reality. You know, I set up this structure of, of theories over the last decade as a public intellectual, and I just feel there's this conveyor belt of fact after fact after evidence after evidence that is uh, feeding that theoretical structure and, and reaffirming it. 
Now, it is to me, what is it? Is it unprecedented? Has this happened before in American politics where the chairperson of a major party has resigned? I mean, for, at first she was just, I think she had her speaking spot downgraded. But now just before we, we had the conversation, the confirmation came out that she is re- going to resign, I think, after the convention. This is pretty remarkable. And isn't this just the kind of infighting that everybody was talking about. Because the Democrats, of course, when they saw the, uh, the RNC fighting with Trump, ah, a house divided cannot stand, and all this sort of stuff that was going on. And I think, didn't she actually offer to help mediate things at the Republican National uh, Convention? This kind of stuff now, I mean, you've got a bunch of Bernie people coming up there who find out that the DNC has been actively colluding, uh, it seems, with um, Hillary's people to, to keep Bernie uh, out of the race and and viewed her, as I said, as the presumptive nominee months before it actually came to pass. Is this not going to be a remarkably fractious, um, I know you're heading down, a remarkably fractious DNC that's going to go down? I mean, this, this re- resignation is, is huge. All right. If you wrote this as a story, it would have to be filed under comedy because nobody could believe it. Right. So the the chair of the DNC is trolling the chair of the RNC saying, Oh, the Republican National Convention's in disarray because of Trump. If you need help, I'll come down to help you. And then she loses her speaking engagement at the DNC. And then as it turns out, she has to resign afterwards. You wouldn't, you wouldn't believe it, right? That would just be like a comedic sketch or some kind of irony. But yeah, it would that be called, sorry, it, my ancient uh, script writing teacher when I was taking uh, playwriting at the National Theater School, he would have said that's too on the nose, right? Like, like that's too, you've got to make it more subtle. This comedy is too obvious. Yeah, would, you would call that like hack. You yeah, would yeah, say, yeah. let's hack. No, no, like, come on, be more creative. No, that's actual, literally real life. It's literally real life. And what the media said, oh, the Republican National Convention is in disarray. Trump's campaign is in disarray. Well, wait a minute, but the DNC, which is hacked, and their chair is resigning, which I don't know if that's ever happened. Certainly it hasn't happened in recent history. But the media isn't pushing those stories about the DNC being in disarray. Isn't that fascinating? Oh, but wait, we know why the media isn't doing that, because the whole hack showed that the DNC is in bed with the media. So it loops back almost too perfectly. It really does read like it's scripted, but it's all reality. It's unbelievable. Do you think that things are going to change with regards to Hillary? We were, I was talking earlier about you have the affirmative action candidate. You have to start manipulating and you have to shield that candidate from market forces or pseudo market forces in the case of the media. I kind of there's some something out there on the internet. Maybe you've seen it. I think maybe you may have even tweeted it. Like, how many days has it been since Hillary right. Clinton actually talked to the media? Uh, and the fact that she's shielded from these kinds of interactions seems to me very important. I got to tell you that her health is not looking particularly robust these days. You know, you may have seen that. I'm sure you saw that video where somebody startles her with a sound and she does that sort of uh, fish on the bottom of a boat head flop around, which does not look uh, very robust. Um, at some point, she's going to have to march out and start taking the heat. Like uh, back in uh, 08, didn't they have like 25 or 26 or 27 debates? Now they've had like half a dozen and she hasn't done press conferences uh, in forever. Uh, she's going to have to, at some point, face the actual public, face the actual press, uh, and face Trump. And uh, when that happens, uh, I don't know. I just I, a slow motion train wreck is sort of the image in my mind. But uh, what do you? How do you think that's going to go down? Yeah, it was it was a countdown clock. I actually posted the idea up, and somebody ran with it. And it was days since Hillary's last press conference. Last I checked, it was two hundred ten days since she had. A, that's a record, you know. And again. It, 
you know, it, it's so funny now. Before, before the leaks, we would say, well, Mr. Stefan, why is it that the, the media has not criticized Hillary for not giving a press conference in 210 days? But now the question answers itself. You know, the, she's just going to get a free pass. But yeah, and then we saw that seizure video where she had an epileptic seizure due to the stroke or head injury she had. So yeah, you start go like, uh, you should try this chai latte, right? Why isn't the media all over that video? Well, of course, you know, we know why. So yeah, she is not prepared for what Trump is going to bring. She is not prepared for this DNC and what the Bernie people are going to bring. I'm going to get the Democratic National Convention tomorrow, and we'll talk, of course, midweek. I have friends there already, sources there already. There's already more people at the DNC preparing to protest than were, than were at the RNC in total. In total. There were maybe 150 different protesters all together. That's the communists, the Code Pink, the, the CARE, the interns. There's already more than that at a park just preparing and goofing off right now. She is not prepared for the onslaught that's going to come from the DNC. And then after that, it's all Trump and the Trump army. And we're just going to be hammering her and her people all the time. They're not going to know what hit them. And now the media, whenever the media tries to cover for, well, it won't matter now because it's rigged. Do you think that... I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm half and half about this. Maybe you can sway me in, in your inimitable way. But do you think, Mike, that the media is going to be scared or recoil into presenting a smidge more of, quote, impartiality in these stories? Do you think they're just going to march on as if nothing happened? Or do you think they're going to be goosed and say, okay, well, you know, we've got to make it a little more subtle or we've got to move a little bit more to the center as far as objectivity goes? Do you think there's going to be any fallout or this just this zombie blind march in the same direction? Well, I didn't watch the segment today, but apparently Jake Taper at the CNN actually hit some of Hillary's people pretty hard. So I think people like Jake Taper, who have a, a better brand, are going to be a little bit more um, even keel. The zealots at the Daily Beast and those kind of people, they're just going to have that zealot thinking. People like Chuck Todd now are going to be nervous. That is the real power in this. Is it conscious? They're not going to change consciously, but that sort of Damocles now is holding over their head. What do we have? What do we know? We're going to be looking for any kind of slip-up they have. So we're actually going to use the language of the left we're actually going to trigger them now into making all sort of mistakes because they're going to be wondering oh oh god they're going to come after me now for this i better be more careful so they're feeling the burn especially when the chair of the dnc has to resign on the eve of a convention that is huge well and the communications flow has been disrupted because now, of course, when you've had your emails hacked, I would imagine that uh, every time you send an email, you're thinking of it on uh, Breitbart or on Drudge or other places or on social media. You're thinking, oh, how's this going to look when every eyeball on the planet gets to land on my syllables? And so I think that uh, there is going to be a disruption or a minimization of their capacity to carry on these kinds of schemes as openly as they did in the past because I guess they never thought it would come out. Yeah, there's that dread now, and you can all think back to, well, some of your younger people wouldn't, but there was a movie called, like, 3 O'Clock High, you know, at 3.15 you got the schoolyard fight, and you're dreading it all, all day. It is that, the dread is actually worse than the fight. Well, all these journalists now, anytime they, as you said, send an email, there's just that feeling of dread. Am I being hacked? Is it spyware on my computer? Are people going to find this? What is going on? And what we're doing, again, that 
That's why I'm going after Chuck Todd real hard. We have them shook. We have them shook bad, and we're going we're gonna to keep hitting them hard. And what that will lead to indirectly is not because of any moral insight that they have. They will become a little bit more even keeled now just because they're realizing, oh, wait, these people uh, that I dismissed as your social media people, these are actually pretty heavy hitters, and they do have an impact, and millions of people are going to see my screw-ups now. So they, they will change. They'll have to. Well, and there's more to come, right? I mean, WikiLeaks says that they have another trove, uh, and we don't know. I mean, did the Russians get into the um, the email server that uh, Hillary was running out of her home? Uh, we don't know. I mean, more, more they say is going to drop, and um, you know whether they're saving the best for last is is fascinating. Uh, and so, I mean, we can speculate till the cows come home on what's in there, but uh, I think uh, people, uh, if they feel that they may have something compromising in there, I think that's going to make them even more nervous about what might be coming down the pipeline. Yeah, and Julian, uh, how do you say his name? Assange. Assange, yeah. He said before the first drop, he said, no, no, we have enough to indict Hillary. So they have a real – and WikiLeaks does a bluff. I mean they – when they dump stuff, it is really good. Yeah, they said this was the first dump, and he had said, no, 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 we have enough to actually get Hillary indicted. And I think that's where the Clinton Foundation emails are going to come in. There had been reports that her private server was hacked. So – I think the best is yet to come, actually. We shall see. And again, this speaks to Trump's judgment. I don't think he uses email at all because he said so many of my rich friends have been compromised by emails. Uh, so we'll see how that yeah, plays out. Yeah, the media made fun of him for that, too. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's another irony. It's like, wow, it's like piling up. People go with tech. They, they call Trump a tech illiterate because he doesn't email. Well, but he, he's an expert at Twitter, so obviously he's not illiterate. Yeah, he just doesn't put anything in email because this is the kind of stuff that happens. So we're going to chat next week when you're at uh, the DNC. I'm really looking forward to um, what you're going to be doing there. Really, really want to help people to get access to your information. You're one of the best people to get information in the world. At the moment, in my opinion, you have uh, these like infinity octopus arms into various things that I find incomprehensible, but usually give you fantastic stuff to send to the world. So uh, if you're on Twitter, um, follow uh, Mike on twitter.com slash Cernovich. Uh, and if you're not on Twitter, you can get on Twitter just to follow Mike. It's it's well worth your time. Dangerandplay.com is the excellent blog. And and uh, this is relatively new for you, I think, this periscope.tv slash play dangerously where people can see this. It's a live uh, blog that you can uh, – is it is it two-way? Is it interactive? Yeah, so people can message me while I stream it live. And okay. what I do with Periscope is that – the thing with people that I tell people is, look, I have an agenda. I'm pro-Trump. I want Trump to win. But I don't hoax. I don't lie. I don't manipulate. So my periscopes, I go, here's the protest. Here's what I'm covering. You can watch it live. I'm not going to edit it. I'm not going to checkmate, anything like that. So the periscope has been a big hit. Even a lot of liberals and Bernie people end up watching it because if you just want to know what's going on without somebody editing it and playing checkmate and gotchas, that is, that is the truth. If you're actually interested in the truth, it's like, well, don't watch the segment that has been edited at CNN. Just watch it live on Periscope. And Periscope is, is a lot of fun. I enjoy doing it, and people enjoy watching them. Fantastic. And uh, it's just a reminder to everyone that the future is a ping-pong-like blank white wall and a hotel room, it looks like, <laughs> as a backdrop. Less money on sets, more money on facts. So thanks a lot, Mike. Always a great pleasure to chat. We'll uh, check in with you next week and uh, safe travels uh, to the next convention. Thanks. I'll talk to you guys soon. Take care.